in the wilderness and he's a shepherd and God calls him out of this bush, uh, this burning bush and calls him to go and set, he wants to use him to set free from slavery the nation of Israel after 430 years in bondage, right? And Moses is pumped. I mean, he's got a new revelation of God as I am, which nobody in the Bible has ever had that revelation. He gets it first. And God takes his staff, right? And I actually found my staff this week. I was looking for it. God, uh, Moses takes his staff and throws it down, right? And it becomes a snake and does this supernatural thing where God says, throw it down. He throws it down and then it becomes a snake. And he picks it back up. Boop, it's a staff again. And God does this miraculous, you know, hand in his coat of leprosy, right? Sticks his hand inside his jacket. It becomes leprous and white and disgusting. And then he puts it back in and God heals it back to perfect, perfection, right? And so you have Moses, he's experienced the supernatural power of God. He's experienced the revelation of God like nobody else ever has. God sends him to the, Egypt, to, to the Hebrews in slavery. They accept his message. They say, great, God is coming. Super. Moses then goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. I don't know if he's saying it, but that sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> let my people go. And Pharaoh says, ha, ha. No. In fact, I'm going to make their job worse. I'm going to take away their straw that, they, that I've been giving them to make these bricks. I'm going to take the straw away. They still have to make the same amount of bricks, but they have to go get their own materials to do it. <laughs> so the Hebrews are like, thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing, Moses, right? And Moses' situation and the children of Israel, instead of getting better, got way worse, Right? So Moses then goes back to God and says, God, what up? <laughs> like, what is the deal? You, you called me to this. I, I was happy being a shepherd. I didn't need to come over here. And he says, listen, I am God. And what I've said to you is true. And what I'm going to do is true. I am going to set my people free. And here's the thing I think that is so important, even as, like, this morning I go to pray for someone. and like, yeah, my baby's not sick. Ooh. <laughs> you know, like, I wanted to pray for your baby. <laughs> I really did, you know. And, uh, and, you know, Jody wants to go mow and bless people and everything. I will tell you this. We are in a battle. We're going to talk about this this morning because we're going to move into the plagues of Egypt. Some of you know the story how Moses then, through God through Moses, begins to pour out a whole bunch of things on Egypt to get them to set the people free. Let me just tell you something. You are not called to an easy life. You and I are not called to comfort, right? There's going to be comfort along the way because we have peace, love, and joy in our hearts. But let me tell you, the world is not going to go, oh, you're a Christian? Super. Just do all these great things. You know? Like, it just doesn't work that way. We have to fight for the kingdom. Jesus says that it's the kingdom of heaven, that wherever you go, that's where the kingdom is. And then he says what? Lay hands on the sick. Cast out demons. Raise the dead. Do all these things. Why? Because that is the kingdom coming. It's coming in power. And you don't take back the enemy's kingdom just by asking nice. And you don't take back the enemy's kingdom just by, you know, hoping that everything's going to be easy and comfy and nice. It just doesn't work that way. So we're going to find this morning as Moses uh, comes before Pharaoh again. So the, the children of Israel, the children of Israel, you know, they're, they're like... <laughs> I watched The Prince of Egypt. You guys seen the, the animated movie? You've seen this one, The Prince of Egypt? And uh, I watched it last night. I was actually, yesterday, I started watching it again because 
you know, sometimes it's good to get a picture. I'm actually going to show you a clip this morning, part, partly here, but, you know, 430 years of the whip on your back, generation after generation. Now, you know, I've been stung by a whip a couple times by accident. I told you I have this eight-foot bull whip, right? And I've actually whipped myself a couple times with it, you know, because I'm not like a cowboy or nothing, you know. So I've actually gotten a lash a couple times, and it doesn't feel good. You know what I'm saying? But could you imagine day after day, generation after generation, the whip at your back, you're a slave. Let me just tell you, nobody in this room has any idea how horrible that situation is. And they did it day after day, year after year, generation after generation. And finally, God says, I'm coming. I've heard you. You heard your cry. I'm answering your prayer, and I'm going to do this great thing. Of course, then it, it actually gets worse. And I'm telling you, the hopelessness of the children of Israel, I, can, I can't even hardly imagine. You know, like it almost seems cruel that God would come and say, Moses, go tell them I'm going to set them free. They go, super, we believe, we worship you, God. And then it actually gets worse. I mean, that, that almost seems mean, doesn't it, in a way? Like, it almost seems mean. But here's the thing, and I need you to understand this. so important this morning. The enemy is not going to let it go without a fight. I'm telling you right now, we need, when God lays a burden on your heart to pray for your unsaved loved ones, some of you have daughters and sons and, and spouses and, and, you know, parents and grandparents that aren't living for the Lord. I'm telling you right now that the enemy has them. And for us to get them out of the enemy's camp, it's not just wishful thinking. We actually have to do something. And I'm telling you, as God is my witness, it, there is a fight that needs to be fought. And for many people I know in Christianity now today, it's all, you know, come to church for an hour and get a good feeling and do a little thing. And that, that's fine. I want people to be encouraged and all that. But I also want to equip us. I want to equip you to say, listen, there's going to be days where it's awesome. You know, like there's just easy and fun and good. But there's also going to be days where we have to roll up our sleeves and say, all right, God, what are you doing today and how can I be a part of this? And sometimes we're going to get a slap in the face. Sometimes the guy's going to say, I'm not going to let you bless me. Get out of here. Are you dumb? Are you stupid? Get out the door, right? There's going to be other days, hey, can I pray for your baby? No. <laughs> you know, okay, you know. But there's going to be other days where, hey, is that shoulder messed up? Can I pray for that? Boom, healing. Why? Because we're fighting for the kingdom. We're fighting for this, folks. It's not passive. And the, the title of the message this morning is we've talked about the call and the conflict and these different things. Today is the confrontation. Today we begin to talk about the confrontation that Moses has with Pharaoh. Let's start with Exodus chapter 7. Now, why don't you turn there with me? Uh, I, I've never been in the How many of you have been in the military? You're, you're in the military, so several of you. You know, and I, I've not ever been in the military, but I love history, and I've like, I'm pretty much a World War II buff. I, I know so much about World War II, and I know a lot about history. And I will tell you this. The one thing I have read and the one thing I know about the military and wars and conquest is they don't just happen. There's a plan. Like, you don't just march into battle and hope for the best. No, you send out your spies. You send out scouts. You, you, you find out what the other person's strengths and weaknesses are, and then you attack. So there's always a strategy involved. And in a sense, 
and I'm not a chess player either. Some of you may be chess players, but, you know, when you play chess, it's a strategic move of pieces, right, and an aligning of the board to win the game, okay? So this is what actually begins to happen here in this story. God is beginning to align the pieces. He sees the children in bondage. He sees his children in bondage, and he goes, all right, I'm going to get this guy, a Moses, I'm going to move that piece onto the board. And then he's having a little trouble, so I'm going to bring his brother Aaron over here too. I'm going to bring Aaron into the and, he, and he's beginning to align the pieces for what? What's God's ultimate goal? Get his children to the promised land, out of bondage and into freedom. Now, I could preach a whole thing on that, and I will down the road here, but let me just tell you, God never intended for his children to be in bondage. That's not his plan for us. And even as believers today, anybody sitting here, I want to tell you, if you're in bondage to something, whether it's a habit, an addiction, maybe it's a way of thinking, maybe like we talked about this orphan thing, I'm telling you right now, that is not God's intention for you. God's goal for you, his purpose and his plan is to get you out of bondage and into freedom and into the, as the Bible says, the land of promise, right? The future, the hope. You know, I don't know, I was just reading a thing about uh, Joel Osteen in, in Houston, right? And he's got this massive church, and he's, you know, and uh, I don't know what you think of him, and, and I, you know, everybody's got different opinions. I don't really care, but I do know one thing about Joel Osteen. That dude brings hope. That guy preaches hope. You want to know why his church is so big? You want to know why his ministries and all the online stuff is so big? Because we live in a very hopeless world. And when people hear hope and they see hope, they go, oh, I could use some of that, you know. And they just come right on in. And I'm thinking if, if, if uh, okay, we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about the battle. But here's the thing. Even in this battle, it's not just a battle for the sake of a battle. It's to bring, it's to bring hope to people in bondage and bring them over into freedom, Right? So every time we have contact with people in our world, even this week, God wants you to be the one that takes people from bondage and hopelessness and bring them into hope. You know, what did he say? That I gave you, I want to give you hope and a future, he says in Jeremiah, right? Not to be bound and not to be all these horrible things, but to give you hope and a future. Like, I'm telling you, that is God's plan for you. It's God's plan for me. It's God's plan for your family. It's God's plan for your, for, your, uh, for your kids and your loved ones and your coworkers. God, he wants us to bring hope. I'm telling you right now, and I, I know even someone in the sound of my voice, maybe watching on Facebook or, or the podcast, if you are in a hopeless place, just know this, that's not God's plan for you. If the only voice you hear is hopelessness, you need to start listening to a different voice because God always brings hope. God always wants to move you from a place of bondage to a place of freedom. And here's the thing. You don't have to settle for anything less. Now, I will say this. It's a fight. If you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with this hopelessness, do something about it. Part of it's spiritual, I will guarantee you. Almost every depression that I've ever seen has some spiritual aspect to it. But I also know that, that 
our bodies can have chemical stuff that's going wrong, and there can be things that need to be adjusted chemically. So I don't, you know, I, I bless doctors, and I bless the medical profession. I do believe that, that, that God wants to bring his supernatural healing to our bodies, but sometimes he uses both together. It's not either or, it's and, right? And so I want you to know there's hope for you, whatever your situation is. And uh, one of the ways I really want to help you do that, we're going to be talking about this more in the weeks and months ahead, but to just reaffirm and go back and back again to the idea that we're sons and daughters. If I can get a greater sense of my identity, who I am, you see, if I don't feel like God really loves me or loves other people more than me, maybe let's put it that way, then I begin to believe a lie about the Father's love. And when I start to believe that lie, then I'll begin to believe other lies about where I am and what I can expect in my life. I'm telling you, as God, as real as it can ever be, God does, his plans and purposes for you are not for loss and hopelessness and defeat and depression and anxiety and, 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 and hopelessness. Bondage is not your land. Your land is the promised land. And I will tell you that that journey, it can be hard, okay? It is for the children of Israel. Like, Moses didn't just show up on his scene and said, all right, saddle up, let's go. <laughs> you know, like, okay, here we go. And, and the Egyptians are like, okay, thanks for coming, see ya. You know, like, that, that, it, that didn't happen, did it? In fact, as we're going to see over these next couple of weeks, that it actually is a really big fight, isn't it? So let's set the stage. Chapter, uh, chapter Exodus chapter 7. God is moving the pieces into place, and the showdown, the battle is coming, right? So Exodus chapter 7, verse 1 to 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, oh, let's stop there for a second. Then the Lord said to Moses, okay, you know what I love about God? The Bible literally teaches this cover to cover, that he's no respecter of person. If God can speak to Moses, he can speak to me, <laughs> right? And, uh, and the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the whole New Testament, as we move into greater revelation of the intimacy that God wants to have with us. We're not just orphans. We're sons and daughters. You know, and <laughs> I tell my sons and daughter things that I don't tell other people. Why? Because we're intimate, you know. I love tucking in my kids at night. I'll just confess it. I kiss my daughters. I kiss them a lot because I love them so much. Now, you know, we moved into the cheek kissing phase. You know, when they're babies, you kiss them on the lips. But, you know, I love to just kiss my daughters. I love to tuck them in at night. I love to, to, to just be with them. And we pray and we do all this stuff. And, and I just... I love doing it. Why? Because when I look at them, there's this overwhelming love for them. Sam and I, he's in the basement, so Sam, you know, he's a little bit farther away, but there's many times I'll just go and we just hang out, you know, before bed at night and just say, you know, how's your day? And sometimes we read books together and this kind of stuff. Oh, you guys, I love, I love them so much. And I want to, and when I feel that, I go, you know, the love that the Father has for me is like a bazillion times more than how much I love my children. 
How much is a bazillion? Look it up. I don't know, but it's a lot, and that's probably not even a big enough number, right? Oh, folks, we have got to get it into our spirit that God is for us, not against us. That he actually loves us. He wants to crawl in, you know, next to you and just, you know, pour his love on you. And I was a little weird for men to kiss men, so let's just leave that one out. But, but he wants you to know how much he cares about you and he loves you and, he, and he's not distant from you. I'm so sick of religion. I'm so sick of what's been taught in the church that somehow we have to work hard enough to please God and maybe then he'll do something nice for me. But mostly I'm just this worm, you know, like I'm not good enough and I'm not this and I'm not this. Oh, my word. The lies that the enemy has put into the church need to be done. This world needs to know through his children how much God loves them. If they can see how much God loves me, then I can let them know how much God loves them. Am I right? Whew, that's a whole other sermon than where we're going here. Let's go back to Exodus. All right. But it all applies in. Why? God has a plan for the Israelites. Why? Because he loves them. And he wants to bring them out of bondage and into freedom, right? So the Lord said to Moses. Just say that with me, can you? The Lord said to Moses. And now just change it. The Lord said to me. Me. God wants to speak to you, folks. See, I make you as God to Pharaoh. This is God saying to Moses, I'm going to make you as God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And that's not a good thing. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you spank your kids or had to spank your kids, you know, the hand was used for something other than just, you know, affection or whatever. And this is God. He's bringing his hand. And it's talk, it talks about his mighty hand on Egypt. Because there are times we have to bring the power of God to the situation, right? Whoo. I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron thought about it. What does it say? Moses and Aaron did it kind of a theme for us. I really didn't know what uh, Ollie was going to share about surrender today. And I didn't really catch how much we were going to be singing about lordship and all that. I think God is kind of putting this together. And I love it when he does that. But here's the deal. How many of you know that in order for God to use Moses and Aaron, they had to obey? They had to say yes to God's plan and they had to do it. And I love Moses. At one point when God's calling him to do this, he makes up all his excuses, and he gets to the end of it. You know what he says? Just find someone else. And that's, well, that's what he says. Literally, he says, can you please just find someone else to do it? Like, he so doesn't want the job assignment, right? And yet, time and time again, we see Moses just did it. He's like the first Nike commercial, right? Just do it. And he just did it. I love that. Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded them. So they, thus they did. And this is for some of you here today. Verse 7. Moses was 80 years old, 
and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Bam. Don't be sitting here talking to me about how you're headed to the grave. I don't want to hear about it. You're not headed to the grave. You're headed to greatness. I don't care how old you are. God wants to use you to do amazing things. When he's done with you, he'll take you home. But don't slide into the grave. Slide into greatness. Amen. Let's move into greatness. Let's say, God, I don't know how many days I got left, but you know, and you want to use me to do amazing things. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Moses spends the first 40 years in Egypt, you know, being a, a prince of Egypt or whatever, however that worked. Then he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness with sheep, and now God starts him on his ministry. 80 years old, he's just getting started. Tell me that's not awesome, right? That's pretty good. So here's a couple things, and we're going to just kind of go through some of these today, and uh, then we'll, we'll finish it up the next couple weeks. If I say the word omni in relationship to God, some of you may know what I'm talking about, and some of you, um, I'm going I'm to just share a couple things with you. Omni means like all, and it has to do with greatness, okay? So some of the words that God that we use to describe God, number one, is omniscient, okay? Omniscient simply means that he is um, all-powerful. All no, I'm sorry, all-knowing, right? Omniscient means he's all-knowing. <laughs> In the rough times, aren't you glad that he knows more than you know? You know? <laughs> I keep thinking about Jody and this, uh, this post office guy that was less than nice. You know, you walk out of a difficult situation. It's pretty important that we remember that he knows more than I know. Because when I come up against a difficulty and there's things that I don't quite understand, you know, <laughs> on the scale of understanding, mine is pretty minuscule and his is immense. In other words, Jody may not have understood why that happened, but she can trust that God is going to use it to his glory because he knows everything. God has a plan, folks. He knows everything. And when we're in those difficult places, we can trust that God is omniscient. I mean, yeah, omniscient. He's also omnipresent, which means he's, he's everywhere at all times. You don't have to worry about being out of nearness to him. He's right there. He's also omnipotent, right? I know it says omnipotent, but I like to say omnipotent potent, right? Because he's all-powerful. He has all the power. He's everywhere, and he knows everything. Can you tell me why we worry about anything? I mean, seriously. You know, we got to get this into our head. Why am I worried or anxious about everything when he's everywhere, knows everything, and has all the power? Here's my word for us today. It's a prophetic word. Are you ready? Chill. Just chill. <laughs> Stop worrying about things you don't need to worry about, right? Just chill. He's everywhere, knows everything, and has all the power. Just chill. Relax. You don't have to sweat about so many things. But I will tell you this, that doesn't mean you don't go to war. That doesn't mean we don't battle. Because the Bible is full of, uh, of, of battle verses, right? In Ephesians 6, 12, many of you are familiar with this. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
We need to chill about worrying about solving all the problems. But I do think we can roll up our sleeves and say, God, how do you want me to pray into this? God, what do you want me to do? Because I'm not wrestling against my boss. I'm not wrestling against the postmaster. Right? I'm not wrestling against all these other things. I need to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? And what do you want me to declare? And how do you want your power to flow through me to change this situation? Amen? I need to, we need to remember this isn't just a cakewalk. It's not just ease. It's not just comfort. You know, we live in America, so that's kind of our thing a little bit. Anybody get impatient waiting at the fast food place? Anybody ever do that? Maybe. <laughs> you know, I was at Walmart the other day. And do you ever get, like, impatient when they got 42 cash registers and they only opened two? Like, what is up with that, you know? And I, I, I get kind of, then I'm thinking, wait a minute. I walked into a store that has everything I could possibly need. I have money that I can use to buy it. And I get a little perturbed because it's not going as quick as I want it to go, you know. I just need to chill. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And... And yet, you know, this, this, this spiritual battle that we're in, there is a struggle that actually is happening. And I know I'm not speaking to people that don't have a sense of this because you and I both know this thing is a fight. There's times where, right, where, where we, we have to remember that it's not about the person. It's about the, the entity. It's about the demonic spirit that is actually controlling or influencing somebody. Luke chapter 11, verse 20 to 22, says this. And Jesus is talking about demon possession and people with demons and those kind of things. And he says this, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, everybody hold up your finger, by the finger of God. We're going to bump into this phrase a little bit later here. But if I cast out demons, Jesus says, by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. <laughs> the finger of God brings the kingdom of God. you got to love that, right? The kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes or takes his plunder. Now this verse is applied to the demonic realm. One of the things we're going to be teaching a little bit more in the weeks and months ahead is this idea that there is probably more demonic activity in the world and in churches than we perhaps realize. And I would pray and I would speak to us today and say this, Lord, give me eyes to see in the spirit realm. Some of you remember the story, I think it was Elisha in the Old Testament, and the, the, the enemy is, you know, arrayed and looks hopeless, and all the enemy soldiers are all there, and Elisha's servant is, he's, you know, he's all nervous, and he's biting his nails, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? And he says, chill, <laughs> basically. And he says, God, give him eyes to see. And the eyes of the servant are open, and he sees the heavenly forces arrayed that are innumerable, and it's the whole thing. It's just covered. And there is so much more force than is against us, right? But here's the thing. If we don't have eyes to see, we don't see God's provision. We don't see the forces of, of the angelic powers and, and, the, and the, the things of God arrayed against the enemy. We'll tend to just focus on the enemy and the problems. And so... 
one of the things that God wants to do in our lives, but even as we go back to the story in Egypt, is part of this plagues of Egypt is God's way of punching the devil in the face. <laughs> he does it ten times until he like, lays the devil out. But how many of you know it took ten plagues to do it? The demonic influence on Egypt was probably one of the strongest in all of the ancient world. The Egyptians were a demonically inspired empire based on their worship of demon gods. Okay, and we're going to look at that here in just a minute as we, as we move a little bit forward. So Moses and Aaron, verse, chapter 7, verse 10. Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, and thus they did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers of Egypt, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff, and they turned into serpents. <laughs> well, that's interesting, isn't it? The same miracle that God uses to show how powerful he is, the enemy then turns around and does the same thing. So Moses' staff, Aaron's staff, gets thrown down on the ground, turns into a snake. The Egyptian demonically inspired sorcerers and priests uh, of Egypt do the same thing. But then it says this. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. <laughs> Gives you a little clue, right? Yeah, you can make serpents the same as me, but I'm going to eat yours up. So you get a little sense that God already is laying the table, but it's round one of a ten-round fight, right? Round one. It's supposed to be a tie, but God eats up their serpents, so I'm going to give that one to God. What do you think? <laughs> right? And then it says, verse 13, Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, or the other word for that in Hebrew is strong. His heart was still strong. And you know what that means? His heart was still inspired and captivated and held strong by the enemy, by the devil, by these demonic things. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Hmm. The battle begins. The first move was God. He throws down the serpent. They do that whole thing. God says, all right, round one, here we go. The plague of blood. The plague of blood. If, you've done any, if you know anything about Egypt, if you've done any reading at all, ancient Egypt, the lifeblood of ancient Egypt was the Nile River. And I, I've uh, actually not had the experience of seeing the Nile, but I've done some research on it. The Nile is the largest river in the world. Some people think it's the Amazon, but actually I was just reading, I don't know if it's changed in size or what, but the Nile is, is the biggest river. It certainly is the biggest river in Africa. And Egypt's power and rise to greatness had to do with the Nile River. Why? Because it started in Ethiopia and, and countries in Africa, and it flows northward, actually, but downhill from the higher places in Africa down to the Mediterranean Ocean. And as it comes, it brings all of the, of the rich soil from these other countries, and it comes and deposits itself in Egypt. And so what you find is that the Nile River was used for agriculture. They grew everything. So all this rich soil came, and in the middle of the desert, you have this oasis of the Nile River and all of the crops and weeds and flax and barley and all these different things that they would grow, and it became very powerful for them. And the river itself was used for commerce. 
it was agriculture, commerce, power, life. Everything in Egypt revolved around the Nile River. And so much, in fact, that, of course, they had a demonically inspired God that they worshipped, okay? This, um, the, the, the Nile God was called Hapi, the God of the Nile. Egypt worshipped the Nile God as their daily source of life and sustenance since it was the waters of the Nile that watered their crops and gave them water that was necessary for drinking, cleaning, bathing, agriculture, everything. So we find this Hapi, this God of the Nile, who's the lifeblood of Egypt. And one of the things I love about God is he, he doesn't always, he doesn't mess around, does he? He gets right to the source, right? And so Egypt's power and wealth and everything about them was the Nile River. And God says, yeah, let's start with that. And he heads right for it. And we see Egypt, we see, uh, we see Moses, and he comes, and uh, we'll read verse uh, 20, chapter 7, verse 20. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded, and he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile, in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, and all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile, and the blood was through all the land of Egypt. Now, you know, Sometimes I think it helps us to see something. So I, uh, I have a little video clip from this movie, Prince of Egypt. I just want to show it to you. And uh, it's Moses turning the, the Nile River to blood. People go! <laughs> Still mooring away at that bone, are we? Carry on. You cannot keep ignoring us. Enough. I will hear no more of this Hebrew nonsense. Bring him to me. Moses! No! Take the staff in your hand, Moses. the superior might of our gods. Uh. <clears throat> By the power of Ra.
Abandon this futile mission, Moses. I've indulged you long enough. This must now be finished. No, Ramesses. It is only beginning. Only beginning. Verse 7, chapter 7, verse 22 says, But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He did not listen to them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern even for this. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the Nile. Second time now we see that God does something with immense power, and the enemy actually has power to do similar things. When we were at the other, other building, the other church, many of you remember on the corner of the, uh, the Stern School Road and Dilly's, there was a, a palm reader. Do you guys remember? Remember that? Some of you remember that? It's not there anymore. But I've seen different spots around Lake County and even in our area. What is palm reading? except the enemy's attempt to mock and imitate prophecy. I will tell you this. Whatever God does in an amazing way, the enemy will try to mimic and mock and twist and, and take away from the glory of God in, unto himself. And one of the things we're going to see as we go through this the next couple of weeks uh, is that the enemy's power is real. He can make snakes. He can make blood in a bowl. But I didn't see them turning the whole Nile back to water, did they? The lifeblood of Egypt was turned to blood. The Bible says that for 10 days, God left the Nile blood. <laughs> Yeah. We're in a battle. The enemy is strong. But many of you know the verse. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible will teach and God will show you that the enemy, he's not toothless, right? He has a couple of fangs left. But God is going to display his greatness. Over these next couple of weeks, you're going to begin to see this. Even the next plague that comes, that, that the magicians try to mimic it, but they're not going to be able to. And God is going to begin to flex his muscle one plague at a time and increase and increase and increase and increase. And what God really wants us to know is that he actually is stronger. The enemy, there's a battle. Don't get me wrong. There's a fight to be had. But God is so much stronger and so much more powerful than anything the enemy can bring. Amen? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand with me this morning as we close. How many of you like frogs? Ew. I don't either. We're going to get a whole bunch of them next Sunday. Just go there because you're wondering. <laughs> and... Uh, my daughter, Sydney, likes to catch them. I don't know, babe. You want to help us out with that next Sunday? Uh, <laughs> but we're going to see frogs and then gnats and then wonders from the skies and on and on it's going to go. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put one hand on your heart today and the other hand I want you to just lift to heaven. 
Lord, I thank you today that you are a mighty God, that you are amazing in your plans and purposes. God, I thank you today that you are omniscient. You know everything. Lord, I thank you today that you are omnipresent. You are everywhere. There is no place that we can go and hide from you because you're right there. Even in the darkest corners of this earth, you are there. Father, I thank you for that today. And Lord, I thank you too that you are omnipotent, God, that you are, that you are all-powerful, God. And Lord, I thank you today that as, as with our hand on our hearts, we say, Lord, we want to experience you more more of your power, more of your presence, more of your, of your, of your healing, God, and your, 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 your love for us, God, as sons and daughters. And so, Lord, with our hand on our heart, we say you are omni-everything, God, all-knowing, all-powerful. Everywhere I go, I'm with you. And, Father, I thank you today that as we come to this, to this place of awareness of the battle before us, God, Lord, that there is an enemy arrayed against us, but, Lord, with our hand to heaven, we say, Lord, let me be used by you to bring your kingdom to this earth, to bring your power, your presence, your peace to, the, to those around us. Father, I just feel like you want us to say once again the hope that you want to bring to this earth, and not just in word but in deed, oh God. So, Father, I thank you for that today. And if it's your prayer today, just say, use me, God. Use me. <laughs> some of you may feel like Moses that God's calling you to something you just, you're saying, God, please someone else <laughs> please you someone else but, but I think there's many of us today that would just say, God, if you're for me there's nothing against me the great I am is going to be with us and we are going to come we're going to wade into this battle with your love and your power so Lord, with our hand towards heaven we say, use me, God give me your words let your power flow through me to my world this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And uh, hey, we want to pray for you today. If there's some of you that need prayer for something, if you feel like you need healing in your body, um, uh, Ollie's, Ollie, why don't you come on up here? And uh, Kathy, if you come on up. And uh, a couple others, if you want prayer for something or you need a, um, one of these miracles, <laughs> either in health, finances, family, whatever. We want to bless you. If you want a prophetic word, we want to prophesy over you as well. Uh, but if you want to do that, come on up. Otherwise, be released in Jesus' name. We'll see you next week.